0: If not, no worries, we still love you, and we literally have hundreds of episodes of Blammo, all free, for you to dive into. Thanks so much.
1: Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Die Workwear Podcast. My name is Derek Guy, and my co-host is Peter Zotolo So this episode is a supplement to an article I recently wrote for Mr. Porter, which you can find on their website by searching for the title, How to Build a Sustainable Wardrobe to Get You Through 2024 and 2034. Sometimes other writers will reach out to me to get a quote for a story about sustainability, and they'll ask me about production processes and materials. But I often tell them that I think a lot of writing on this topic focuses too much on the production end and not enough on the consumer end. To me, sustainability is about both. A lot of people discard clothes well before the end of their useful life, not because the item bears a material defect, but because the wearer has lost interest in wearing the item. In this episode, Pierre and I talk about the concept of emotional durability, which we've touched on in previous episodes but flesh out more here. Emotional durability is about honing your emotional antenna so that you buy things that make you just as excited in 10 years as they do today. To me, this is the crux of sustainability, buying things that you'll love to wear. Pierre and I discuss ways to do that. Let's dive in. Hey, Derek. Good to see you again. How
2: are things? It's good. Uh, how are you, Peter? I'm well. I really like that sweater that you're wearing. Is that from the Naomi Glasses Ralph Lauren
1: collaboration? It is. I bought it a while back. I bought this sweater, which is the wool linen sweater that they sold, and um, a pair of the dark brown garment dyed jeans from the Naomi Glasses collaboration at Ralph Lauren. Um, I bought it around the time of Black Friday, although it wasn't included in the sale. And um, I admit, sometimes I buy things with the intention of, or not the intention, but I expect that I'm going to return it um cuz sometimes i just want to check something out and when the sweater came i was like oh, i unfortunately have to keep it cuz it's Boy, just it looks great i yeah i really like the yarn it's um it's a wool linen yarn so one of the upsides of a, a wool linen yarn is that you get this kind of like you get the dry crunchy texture of linen and then you get a bit of the kind of the quality, the spring back quality of wool. Um, but the problem with this specific sweater, the one downside of this sweater is that since they include so much linen, you lose the natural crimp that's in animal hair, which means that the sweater doesn't have as much spring back quality. Mm. So I have this thing where I don't like sweaters that sit too low on me. Like where I, do
2: you like them, Nate?
1: I I think a sweater should hit you right around the waist. Basically where your your uh, trouser waistband pits
2: yeah i agree um and but that's stuff not- to do if you get ready to wear
1: yeah it, it, it's well it's not a problem for wool because you can always either block the sweater or um and blocking sweaters means you wet it and then kind of shape it into the shape that you want um but specifically for a wool sweater you have that kind of like elasticated hem and you just adjust it on your body so oh, you right. place the hem wherever you want and that's and then, where it lies. And that's where it lies. But the problem with the wool linen sweater is that it doesn't have as much tension as a pure wool sweater.
2: So it just tends to stretch and stretch and stretch?
1: It just falls down over mm-hmm. time, right? So what I ended up doing was um, placing the the band where I wanted, it and then tucking the sweater into itself and then just sewing it. You sewed it? Yeah. So I sewed it. Just You can basically just do these kind of like pin... Um, I don't know how you describe it on a podcast, but you basically just, um, you know, you don't have to sew it all the way across. If you have a sweater that stretches down too much, um, just imagine what a sweater looks like when it's adjusted on your hem, when when the hem is adjusted on your body, and then just pin it. And then when you take the sweater off, just sew, I don't know, like I did maybe six to eight kind of like um, thread kind of pins on the sweater to staple it essentially where I want it to be. And it basically looks just as it would when somebody's wearing a sweater and, you know, they've adjusted the hem on their body.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't be able to tell. I never knew you to be such a crafty guy. <laughs>
1: Thanks. I'm I'm a bespoke craftsman now. It's
2: <laughs> um, yeah. those home economic classes paid so off.
1: The other thing that the this sweater has opened my mind to is as extremely corny as the phrase is, I've, it's opened up my mind to the idea of having a pop of color in, in an outfit.
2: Ah, I can't believe you said that. First. I,
1: cause I normally, I normally wear like, you know, really drab browns and grays and blues. And I think especially even in the winter, like if you have a really drab outfit, it's, it can be kind of nice as corny as it is to have like a apple green sweater or like a red sweater. Um, you know, an orange sweater and you can find these from like J press. J press does like really colorful shaggy dogs. Another one that's really good is this company called the carrier company. I have not heard of that. It's a UK company and they specialize in, um, I guess you kind of roughly describe the describe it as like gardening clothes they have these really colorful large tartan uh, chore coats wool chore coats that look fantastic really um, but they also have Shetland sweaters in really bright colors hmm. I think can be nice if somebody is just looking for, you know, a little bit of happiness during the colder seasons. <laughs> yeah. um, so if you're wearing, let's say, just imagine if you're wearing brown trousers and a big gray wool overcoat. You know, if you just include like a red or apple green sweater underneath, it just looks a little bit more cheerful in the winter months. So that this sweater has opened my mind to that. And then I also um, uh, recently bought, and this was way back during the Black Friday sale, But I bought um, a pair of the DMA, um, I think they're called the Vet Sport or Roka Vet Sport hiking boots. And they come in the, I, I think it's called the Oak colorway and it's like a shaggy suede.
2: Are those the boots that you wore here? Yeah, those look really cool. Those are very shaggy.
1: Yeah, I've but been in a good way. The the funny thing about these um, non native did these shaggy suede boots a while ago. I remember those, and I really really liked them. Um, but I didn't want to deal with like overseas footwear sizing and You're you know, all. Right, trying to this guess your just, size. Yeah, just, I just figured it was a huge hassle. So I've been looking for shaggy suede shoes, and those were like a great way to incorporate them because it's not. Full shag. It's just yeah, like it's the top the of the boot. It's just the top of the boot. And the funny thing is, is when you wear them and you look down, you feel like you're a bear. You feel like
2: <laughs> um, you look like a. Bear. You
1: feel like a teddy bear because you're you've got these shaggy brown things on your feet. Um, I think they're really fun. <laughs> um, I, I a few other companies use this su- suede. I think Truman Boots has used the suede. Viberg may have used the suede, but it's just like a very very shaggy suede. Um, if people look up oak, D-M-A, D-I-E-M-M-E, they'll probably see it. Um, and yeah, I, I think they're just like, it's just like a fun material. It looks good. And Thanks. the sweater does too.
2: Thanks. The pants that you said that you got, garment dyed. Yeah. Brown. Are they moleskin? Are they more of a drier twill?
1: It's like a, it's somewhat sort of like a slightly softer, thicker brushed denim. Okay. It's, um, it's not as fuzzy as moleskin, but um yeah, it's just, it's got like a really nice kind of broken in feel. And one of the few jeans that I've put on that I like wearing with sport coats, because it's a slightly higher rise and um just like a straight, very straight, classic leg that I think works easily with tailored sport coats. The problem with saying that is that they're going to be very hard to find at this point. Um, so, sold out, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they're sold out. So I hope that Ralph Lauren releases another model in this cut, because it'd be a it'd be a great thing to recommend with sport coats. Have you gotten anything recently that you've you've enjoyed?
2: I have. I got a pair of Todd Snyder moleskin carpenter pants in white. Hugely <laughs> impractical. <laughs> but <laughs> because they're going to get dirty very soon if they're not dirty already. But they're supremely comfortable and they have a really nice full cut, not like the typical carpenter jeans that you see now, more like the older carpenter jeans that I used to buy when I was an apprentice, just the carpenter Carhartt jeans. But these are much softer, much more comfortable. Uh, They probably will last equally as long as the carpenter jeans that I've worn on the job site, but I don't think I'll be wearing them there. I would much rather wear these as I am right now, just inside the house, around town. Nothing too crazy.
1: For You know, for a company owned by American Eagle and probably does millions in sales, they do a lot of like interesting niche styles. Because normally when you're that large of a company, you have to do these kind of very watered down, you know, like slim fit, like flat front chinos because you have to pay rent and you have to, you know, like pay your investors and all that. Because crazy but, doesn't sell, not always. Yeah, and it's not even... Like those are those pants aren't even that crazy, but it's just, that's not something that you'd expect from a company owned by American Eagle. It's right. I'm often impressed by what they do.
2: They um, have done a lot of things out of the ordinary, nothing too extreme, but these Carpenter jeans are one example. They also did a collaboration as they normally do each year with Private White and they resurrected a style from Private White. Two this past season. One was their great coat or officer's coat, which is amazing, but it came in a green that doesn't really work with my wardrobe, especially because I already have a green great coat from Frank Leader. But they also released a collaboration with them in their Jeep Coat, which is really cool. It's a typical Jeep Coat. So a Jeep Coat, for those of wait, you- Wait, that Jeep
1: Coat is a collab with Todd Snyder? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That Wait, you could buy that Jeep Coat off of Todd Snyder's yes, site? Yes, you can. Or that's, Private White.
2: Either one. That's surprising. It's amazing. It is the warmest jacket I have. And I have Sherlings that are very warm. This one puts them all to shame. I don't know what it is. They line it with a really heavy wool, cotton, polyester, fluffy mix. And then it's also filled with a polyester filling, for lack of a better term.
1: Can you explain what is, what is a Jeep coat?
2: Often in menswear, things are influenced by military garments and then they make their way into civilian clothes. This one was kind of the other way around. These types of coats were around and used by regular laborers, outdoor laborers, lumberjacks, outdoorsmen.
1: It's like a Pacific Northwestern. Very stuff. much
2: so. Yeah. And you, you see a little bit of that. Ralph Lauren obviously does that. Uh, you don't see it much elsewhere. It used to be more common. Old Abercrombie Fitch used to do it. Uh, Woolrich used to do it. And it is generally a short coat because it was adopted by the military to be used to go in and out of Jeeps. And you don't want to be wearing a long coat when you're going in and out of a military vehicle. So it's a shorter coat just past your rear, double-breasted, similar to a pea coat, but instead of a notched lapel, it's a shawl lapel. You can button it all the way up and it's extremely warm if you do, but generally speaking, no. It's one of those few coats that normally looks better closed. I am with you on most jackets look better open, but this one, particularly the one that they've done with Private White, is so bulky that it you end up looking like the Michelin Man if you wear it open. So if you're into this kind of jacket, there are a million iterations out there. I'm sure you can get a Jeep coat off of eBay for relatively inexpensive. There's military surplus out there. But even then, they're not very common. This one is filled with a polyester fill. It's also lined with a wool cotton polyester lining. It is just so warm. It is easily the warmest jacket that I have. And it's also much longer than your typical Jeep coat. This one goes past my knees. So it is something that I would wear on the coldest of days in the darkest corners of Antarctica. (laughs) And I would probably (laughs) still be warm. I might do a couple burpees just in case I got to chill. But it is an extremely warm jacket. This one is in a khaki color with a cream shirling collar. And I'm excited about that. They
1: debuted that at London Fashion Week a few years ago. I first saw it on um, a woman model on their website, and then it debuted at London Fashion Week. And I was like, wow, that is it's they're like the company's flagship design is that twin track jacket, which I think looks nice. Um, But for what I would personally buy, um, their Jeep coat was like on my list for a while. And um, I just, for some reason, never ended up buying it. But the original version was made, I think, from like a heavy melton. It was like a wool or something.
2: That Um, would be very impressive because this is a heavy jacket as it is. Yeah, It's ventile. So it's practically waterproof. Uh, It is warm for (laughs) any kind of climate. You find yourself in. If it was also in Melton, that would be
1: indestructible. The Yeah, I think that coat looks really good with like a pair of jeans and like a chunky sweater. Yes. It's got, I guess, like if you ever look at those like Filson ads, I mean, you don't even have to go back. If you just go to Filson's site, they always have like these like burly guys like doing... Burly guy things, whatever whatever burly guys do. Um, but if you find those photos inspiring, you probably would like a jeep coat because those that style derives from like Filson um, Packer Packer coats. Like yes. you know, it's like what a what like I don't know, like a cow rancher logger would wear in like you know the Pacific Northwest or something. um Yeah, it's it's a really cool coat. I'm I'm impressed that it was sold on Snyder's site again. Just a surprising amount of niche designs on a company owned by American Eagle. They do a
2: few things that are really impressive. And the credit goes to the designer, obviously. He had a fashion show at Pity this year. And he's also collaborating with Woolrich to have a series of jackets and clothes with them. So the design team is really good. They do things that anyone could wear and then they do things that are a little different but still very cool, not avant-garde, very wearable. Yeah. But not your typical things
1: that you would find in a mall store.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing how those jeans are broken in.
1: Yeah. Um yeah, I think part of part of the nice thing about buying certain clothes is that they they kind of age with you. Um, and they end up being something that you enjoy more, you know, over time. Um, They they become part of your identity and and your wardrobe.
2: And that's something that you wrote about recently,
1: right? Yeah, I recently wrote something for Mr. Porter. Uh, My editor wanted me to kind of give, think of like a recap of, um, you know, like menswear trends in 2023 or whatever. And I kind of was like, I don't know, some, I, I sort of, to be honest, sometimes think like a lot of trend writing is made up like they'll say like <laughs> this is happening and i just don't think that that's happening like i look outside and i don't see anyone doing that <laughs> uh, right. so the super mario boots never took yeah, off yeah i'm just sort of like some sometimes <laughs> it's just like i don't know it, i don't really want to do trend reporting um but i do think that menswear has changed a lot in oh. the last 20 years so in i no told i i pitched this to her, I said, well, what if I don't talk about 2023 trends, but I talk about how menswear has changed, where in the early 2000s, a lot of menswear writing was about quality, buying classics, buying timeless things that you could wear forever. And, you know, like all the blogs were doing like these factory visits and like breakdowns on how things were made, um, classic designs that your grandpa wore or whatever. Mm -hmm, And then by around 2020, I would say 2012 that started to break down and people started to shift more towards designer clothing and streetwear right and then now we're at this period where um you know supposedly there are no trends but you know there's that's up for debate but so i i pitched this to her i said well what if i wrote an article about this idea of emotional durability just something i read from a design theorist named john chapman um And it's this idea that, um, more than just the kind of like construction durability that menswear writers were talking about in the early 2000s, there's this idea of emotional durability, which is how, how do you relate to an item? How do you, do you enjoy using it? Does it have meaning in your life? Is it something that you want to keep around? Um, and so John Chapman was, was building on this idea, um, by a mid century, um social theorist named Vance Packard who wrote a book called The Wastemakers. And so even if most people haven't heard of Vance Packard or the Wastemakers, they've probably heard of the term planned obsolescence. Yes. And and Vance Packard wrote about how um during the Great Depression, um, economists and you know theorists were coming with ideas how to get people to spend again. And but by the 1960s, obviously we had, you know, we had the Great Depression well behind us, and people were just buying a lot of stuff to replace things that they didn't need to replace. And Vance Packard felt that this was, um, he felt that it was immoral because he felt that it was creating a lot of waste. And he talked about different types of obsolescence. So one obsolescence is like technological obsolescence. So for example, you could use your smartphone for years and years, but then at some point, even if the smartphone itself works... Um, it might not connect to your cellular network. Mm,
2: so right. it's just
1: like you have to replace the phone because it's like technologically it's out of date. But there is another type of obsolescence where um, Vance Packard wrote about how marketers, it's easier to come up with ideas of advancements uh, to sell people on the idea that something is obsolete than come up with technological advancements. So... Apple is kind of notorious for this because they'll make very, very small changes and then everyone wants to update, even though your old item works totally fine. Right. Um, and so he came up with this, these terms of, um, I can't remember the, the, the other two terms he came up with, but they all kind of fell into this idea of planned obsolescence where a marketer is trying to sell you on the idea that something is no longer good because of either a small technological improvement that may not even be that big of a deal. Or it's just like, you know, it, it comes in a new color and and the old color is not as good anymore. And that's basically like a lot of fashion, right? Like a lot of fashion runs on the idea of this obsolescence. Look new, don't look like your dad. Yeah, like, you know, 10 years ago, slim fit. Now it's wide fit. Um... Ten years ago, it was like double monks. Now it's whatever. I don't know what the shoe is, loafers or whatever. You don't want to look dated. Yeah, you don't want to look dated. So um, Vance Packard had, had written on this idea and John Chapman wrote, um, was building on this idea of emotional durability, of how do you get consumers. Um, he was also writing for designers. He was talking to designers about how do you build something so that um there is room for a consumer to essentially like grow with the item. So denim is, is is a really good example. Raw denim is a really good example in the sense that you buy raw denim. And if you're into raw denim, then you kind of grow kind of, you grow attached to the jeans because you like how they look over time. Um, yeah. And all the time that you've spent into them. Yeah. Like the fades are very personalized. Yeah. They've molded to you. They feel like you. So when, you know, the crotch blows out or the knee blows out. You want to get them repaired. You don't want to throw them away yeah. and, and buy new ones. You want to save these as long as possible. So John Chapman obviously was not writing about clothes, he was writing about other things, but I was trying to apply his idea of emotional durability, which is kind of the concept in the nutshell of emotional durability
0: is how do you want to hear the rest? Listen to the full episode and many more other exclusive episodes over on our Patreon visit patreon.com forward slash blamo to sign up and join the blam fam you also get access to our exclusive members only slack group where we chat about this and a ton of other things so head over to patreon.com forward slash blamo and we'll see you there